Up next on episode 62 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss software updates, the power of APIs and plugins, and leading by example from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. There's a Macintosh on my desk, which I don't use that often. But when you have a Mac, every day or two, there's this little Apple software updater globe thing. It's like a little blue ball on your dock. Mm -hmm. And it just starts jumping up and down every couple of days because it gets excited about something. If you click on it, it tells you that a software update is available. I kind of feel like I wish I a lot know. of the updates would just silently install. Yeah. Or just you know, go away. I mean, it's just not important. They're just not... Do, you, do I really... Okay, there's some new bug that you guys found in your code. Thrilling. Well, they could be important. I mean, look at like exploits in the browser. That's hugely important. I know, I mean, but like, sort of, there has to be... Firefox has had like massive exploits. Like they have like... I think there's bugs in their JavaScript engine now that need to be fixed. They're like, if you go to a certain page, you'll literally be owned. Like, it'll be arbitrary but code execution. But nobody's going to that page. Why would anybody yeah, go to that but, page? You see? Okay, so let's say nobody updates their software. So uh. everybody has Firefox 3.5.0. <laughs> okay. And a year from now, there's going to be tons of pages that have that exploit on it. Yeah, it's true. So, I guess I'm not arguing that you shouldn't upgrade things. But there has to be some kind of a cost-benefit analysis. It should be silent. I, I think what you're complaining about is that you have to see it. Well, that's my because I have to stuff. reboot. That's because, that's because I'm going to have to shut all my programs and save all my work and reboot and then reopen all my programs and find all the work that I was working on and get back to wherever I was with all of it. Right. Well, let's look at, let's look at Firefox as an example of this because I think actually Firefox does a good job, but I still have some complaints Okay. Uh, in that Firefox does a good job of whenever you reset it or it crashes, it remembers like every page you were on. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you were in the middle of filling out a form and it's a traditional form and not some crazy flash thing, obviously, right. um, it'll actually fill in the data that you had there too. So Firefox no is a pretty good example of this. But it's also an example of the problem in that every time there's an update to some plugin, yeah. I have to restart. I usually have 20 browser windows open because you got to realize I have three monitors here. So I have like just tons of crap on my screen and I'm in the middle of a bunch of crap. So it's still pretty invasive that I have to restart the whole browser just to install, you know, the latest version of Firebug or whatever. So I think there's, there's really two things. One is it should be almost completely transparent. Like yeah. you shouldn't have to think about it. It should just magically work. You're just updated. You don't care. You, sh you, you shouldn't care because you never have to see it. And then the uh, second thing is that uh, it really just needs to be uh, built in, like architected in. Like when you're starting software, right? this is one of the th great things about web apps, right? Because they're updated on the server, you're always on the latest version and you don't care. You and it should be it. the same principle with desktop software. You yeah. should always be on the latest version because that's just how it works and it's completely transparent. Well, one thing that always bugged me about Firefox is that my Firefox window is sitting there all day long doing absolutely nothing, unless, except for those few minutes of the day when I'm using it. And sometimes I really need to use it, so I launch Firefox, 
And at that exact moment, it says, this would be the perfect time to do an upgrade. So yes. it's kind of weird. Like, why is it at startup that it does the upgrade? How about at exit or at idle time or something? Sometime when I'm not using it. It picks the well, only right, time when it's annoying to do the upgrade. Yes. No, you, there's, you can be really, really smart about how you do this. Now, the tricky part to me is the architecture of, like, an in-place update like that gets really hard. Like like, I don't know that's even sure. possible with an executable. It's like you have to restart at some level, right? I mean, uh, it's just a question of, I guess, deciding. I don't know. It's tricky. Depends um, how you uh, that's, it. that's one of the big things about web apps. They sort of have that advantage built in. It's like, how do they update. know? But you guys are you, 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 like Stack Overflow just goes down when you want to upgrade it, right? How long is it? Well, it does, for? but it's a very it's a very limited window, like yeah. maybe like thirty seconds. Yeah, you could. We could potentially. We do actually deploy now. What I try to do on Stack Overflow is we know when traffic is low because we have cacti graphs that tell us when traffic is low, um, and we try to the best of our ability to update only during those low traffic periods. But we consider any of those low traffic periods like fair game. We can deploy as much as we want. <laughs> I mean, you within reason to an absurd degree. But I mean, I've deployed like this weekend when because J- Jared was visiting. Actually, he was here from Tuesday to Tuesday, so we were doing lots of stuff on Stack Overflow over the weekend fixing bugs and adding features and stuff like that. We deployed like six or seven times just at random times over the weekend. But the weekend is so low traffic-wise. Couldn't you deploy instantly by just deploying into a new directory and then switching the directory, um, just telling IIS to go zero off of this at the other directory? I've done that with with a lot of sites. You're still going to interrupt. You're still going to interrupt at some level. Not really, because what happens is the old... Uh, and yeah, uh, what does what does IS do? Does it just cut off people that were that were getting a page on the old side? If you change the home directory, I think the people that were getting a page continue to get it, and then the next the only people, people to come that in. the only people that really get in trouble are people in the middle of literally clicking the submit button, like they've actually submitted new changed data to the system. Mm-hmm. Um, for random browsing, it's just either a timeout or a, a big delay on retrieving the page. There are definitely ways to build. Websites, I mean, it's more complicated, but there are ways to build websites so they have zero outage even when moving to another generation. Right. Well, you'd have, like, another web server that has the same state. Talk yeah, you could have data. another web server and just tell your load balancer to start putting the new requests on that one. Yep. Yeah, yep. Then, you, no, you can do it even better than we do. We do it in a very ghetto kind of way, which is <laughs> that we just basically do the build, which copies all the files in. And, but the advantage is it's a really narrow window. I mean, it's like 30 seconds to a minute at most that there's a potential problem. So, anyway, so we're but speaking could, about all these updates. Yeah. Right. We, um, we, uh, we updated Fogbugs. Monday was our official ship date. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of tired. Fogbug 7. Fogbug 7 is the revenge of Fog. Exactly. It's been two years in the making. Way too long. And wow. it, it is conceivable. I'm not sure, but it is conceivable that this is our last version where we do a major release like this. Because what we did is we added this gigantic plugin architecture that just lets you write plugins and do anything. And so probably for the next few years, we'll be able to deliver just about any functionality we want by writing a plugin and shipping it, which we can do anytime we want. We don't have to release a new version of the, the core app. Although what we may do is uh, release like point versions of the app, either to fix bugs or to add new interfaces that we forgot to expose to the plugin interface. I think you're radically overestimating. I mean, plugins are powerful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Particularly, and and going back to our Firefox example, it's amazing what plugins can do in Firefox. I mean, that's one of the things they got so right was the mm-hmm. whole 
Okay, the updates are a little wonky, but still pretty good. I mean, like it tells me when there's updates and it pulls them down. It does a, nine, a better job than 90% of the software out there. Yeah. More probably. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a testament to the power of the plugin model. I mean, anything you want to do, it's like, oh, there's a plugin for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I. Maybe you're right. Actually, now that I think about it, if yeah. you have a real, but I, I'm questioning whether you got the plugin model 100 percent right the first time. That well, would be pretty. We, we may be missing a hook, but basically, you want to add another menu item and you have it go to a brand new page, and the page does some whole new thing. You've just added a whole new area to your product that can run arbitrary code. And, you're done. and you know what? You know what's analogous to that for us is there's been a lot of pressure for Stack Overflow to have a full blown API, and I, I'm generally for it because if mm-hmm. you look at the sites that have APIs. I mean, APIs are a rich source of innovation and interest for websites. I mean, mm-hmm. sites that have APIs, mm-hmm. generally that's a sign of a really successful site because the sites that don't have APIs is because nobody cares. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like nobody wants an API about you because your, your website doesn't matter. But if people are clamoring for an API, they like your site and they want to like build stuff for you, basically. Right. So you're essentially turning away free sure. stuff. Yeah, we've so that's already, yeah. crazy at some level, right? I mean, and, and we want to do it. I mean, our problem with uh, API stuff is just time commitment because I feel like the API is pretty major engineering work. It takes a surprising right. amount of engineering work. It really does. To do the whole, I mean, we, had the, our, we, we released our API in Fogbug 6, and that is the ability to, um, it's kind of restful. It's basically the ability to send little URLs to Fogbugs and have it do stuff. Uh, it's different than a plugin architecture. A plugin architecture lets you basically extend Fogbugs itself as opposed to merely... Um, you know, pushing data into it and getting that data out of it. Uh, and so, um, uh, but both of these things are um, hu- huge amounts of work. took a lot of work. Just to, the, like with the plugin architecture, first of all, those plugins have to run on our servers. So m- making them secure is a whole issue and making sure that they don't have, you know, that they run in a sandbox um, where they're safe is non-trivial. And... Uh, yeah, it was just a ton of work. And then, and then they had to have access to everything that's in Fogbugs, and they had to be able to hook and enhance Fogbugs in about a million different ways, and they had to be given notifications when stuff happened, like events have to happen in these plugins when stuff happens in Fogbugs. I mean, let's say that you want to do something every time a bug is assigned. You, gotta, you, know, you have to have a way for this plugin to run every time a bug is assigned. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of work going into that. And then just, just documenting that thing means writing about 100 little sample source code files that show people how to do stuff and uh it's a surprising amount of work and and some people do very very uh you know simple apis did you guys have you guys had partners that sort of were building like real live plugins in yeah. parallel with sure this? Okay. Uh, for example uh, balsamic is available now uh, as of today as a Fogbugs uh, plugin um mm-hmm. somebody just released yesterday an iphone uh Fogbugs app called Oh boy, probably iBugs. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I remembered the name. I've been busy. I've been very busy today. But but I, I haven't. Some people here have installed it. But it's you know a little little simple Fogbugs app for the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there's a bunch of other people working on stuff. Oh, there's one that does. Oh boy, am I unprepared for today's? Let me go to the Fogbugs plugin gallery. I don't think you actually even use Fogbugs. <laughs> <laughs> the fo- what? Do I do it? That's- You're unfamiliar with how it works. Balsamic mockups for fog bugs. Cool. Um, featured plugins. There's a there's a bunch that we shipped, and we took certain things like um, 
the ability to add custom fields to fog bugs and the ability to customize the workflow that we don't really want you doing, but we're not going to tell you not to do it. And we put them in mm -hmm. plugins just to sort of symbolize that, like, you probably, you know, this is not the ideal. Oh, there's a Kanban board. You know what Kanban is? Yeah. K-A-N-B-A-N. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. some kind of cool uh, um, uh, system where you make these little boards and cards and, ugh. I'm not going to try to explain it. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks. Don't worry. <laughs> go, go it. If you know what Kanban is, if you know what that is, then you will be impressed that there is a Kanban plugin for Frogbugs. Right. And I that it's cool. That... You drag things and they slide around and it's, it's really, it's really, really neat. Cool. And these, these plugins are all web plugins, right? I mean, these are yeah, HTML you... thingies. Um, well, they're sort of, they, they have code, they, they can provide some HTML, but they also have code that runs on our server, or on the Fogbug server, basically, that's, that's sort of... Oh, typing. really? What do you yeah. write these in, Wasabi? Uh, any .NET language. Any, wow, anything. Yeah. Iron Python. Uh, yes, in fact, I, um, I, I, I wouldn't guarantee it, but the Kanban plugin might very well be in Iron <laughs> Python. That's cool. Uh, that's yeah. nice. You get to choose any .NET language, including Wasabi. You know what would be cool is if you made Wasabi a .NET language dialect. That would be really cool. Oh, it technically is, yeah. And the compiler comes with Fogbugs in the accessories directory, although I believe that the one that we ship, in fact, I think all versions of the Wasabi compiler um, generate Fogbugs by default. <laughs> it's sort of like the, you type the, 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 the compiler without any command line options. And it builds Fogbugs. Fog bugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a compiler that builds one program it's really ever. Really, very yes, exactly. That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, well, cool. Well, yep. Congratulations. Although I would expect that, given the complexity of the API, I'm sure you guys did a great job. I'm not saying you didn't, but I just think, given the complexity, I would expect a point release on plugin stuff. I think it's a little optimistic to predict that yeah, plugin model. That's, I mean, we may suddenly discover that we that we want up to to release a plugin that does something that there's simply like no clean way to right. do. But if we you know, just add one more API or one more plugin event or something like that, we can make it possible. And uh, right. so we'll release some little incremental releases, but I think we're going to be able to go pretty far with future versions of Fogbugs uh, just as a uh, kind of lengthy series of plugins and then incremental point releases that we can do um, very quickly uh, rather than having to do another major release like this in the future. Hey, now you guys get to do what Microsoft does. You get to step on... Well, there's two philosophies here, and we might have talked yeah. about this, but I think it's an important one, so I wouldn't mind covering it again. So anytime you have a rich plug-in ecosystem, yeah. I view that as product design. So the most popular... I view... Okay, so every major release of, say... Let's go back to, to, to Firefox, because I think it's a very good example. Every major release of Firefox, in my opinion, what mm -hmm. they should do is take the five most popular plugins and, and build say, it in. Build it in. Yep. Because, I mean, there's, that's essentially what's happening. There, people are trying to tell you, this is missing from your product. These are things yep. we really want. You don't have them. Now, the downside of that is, of course, you step on these plugins. Like you, and in the case of Firefox, I don't think anybody really charges. There might be some ad-subsidized plugins in a handful, but there's nobody to really step on. But in, say, the Microsoft ecosystem, like you have some Microsoft People do try desperately, that, yeah, to make it. Yeah, and you called it like snatching nickels from the path of an oncoming steamroller, mm -hmm. right? Like, you're trying to fill a hole in fog bugs. Like, if I build some really cool plugin and right. then I start, who knows, charging money for it or whatever, and all of a sudden you go, hey, that's really popular. People want that. I mean, it's rational to want to take that and fold it into the product. This is a completely normal, rational thing to want to do. But one side effect of that is, hey, I'm kind of crushing my partners. Right, right. <laughs> so what, what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? What's the solution there? Yeah. I mean, 
what what do you think? Uh, as as the plug as the plugin provider, as the plat- it's really the platform. Either. It's really the platform provider. Either. So basically, I, mean, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. If I mean, if you're a platform provider, it does sort of make sense to look at these things that people are shipping. But then you have to make a decision about, is this something that everybody can use or is this something that makes life better for a class of users? And if there's a certain cl- – if it's just – if it's a narrow class of users, like, for example, it's the Fogbugs plugin for dentists. With this plugin, you can run your dentist – your entire dental practice using Fogbugs. It, it keeps your drills clean and, and you know – What's that funny? Well, that's gas not really. That there's no way the laugh. dental plugin. That's not really what I'm talking about because there's no right. way that would have like a hundred thousand downloads. Uh, okay, that's a good point. Uh, but that's vertical, and so that's the kind of plugin. So first of all, because you're selling it to people that that are in a very very specific niche, uh, and it's providing them exactly what they need, uh, you could probably charge a lot for a plugin like that too. And so so that's a good area to be in if you're a plugin provider or if you're providing anything that's on a particular platform is something that's very nichey. You know, similarly to you know, the Facebook apps or whatever. So, uh, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, where it's a horizontal thing, like, you know, I really think that Firefox should have a spell checker. I'm going to make a spell checker plug-in for Firefox. And that's something that just about everybody's always going to want. Uh, right. You know, that's not a good, that's probably not, you know, I, I would not necessarily go into the business of developing that kind of thing because that is something that, that Firefox is very, very likely to do. It all depends on whether it's a horizontal, everybody can use it kind of thing or a vertical thing. I think the same applies to iPhone apps, right? Like um, with iPhone apps, there's certain, there's certain iPhone apps that you just got to believe are going to be a part of the phone eventually. So what you're basically doing is you're blaming the victim here. You're basically saying if, if you happen to fix some major <laughs> egregious missing thing, yeah, then... You Good shouldn't. for you, I mean, but that's you should see limited life expectancy. You should expect that if it's that major and that egregious, if it's so obvious that that should be in the product, then, right. you know, you're kind of postponing the inevitable in terms of being steamrolled by this oncoming steamroller that you're snatching these nickels from. Right. Uh, so go vertical, basically. Pick things that are lucrative, but not part of the core product for everybody. Right. Yep. That's fair. Uh, it's it's, I mean, they're, it's they're, very hard to be in somebody else's ecosystem um, because you're making sort of a, a, a derivative product. It derives any money that it might make from from a secondary product. First of all, the, the, the maximum number. I mean, it's just like all those Twitter applications, right? The most the most you could ever sell your Twitter application is to the world of people who use Twitter, which admittedly is a large and growing world right now, but it still puts an upper bound. On, on your product because your product depends on being used in that particular community. And, and so effectively it's like having a, a, you know, a hot dog stand in a movie theater after you put in your ticket, right? It's like the most hot dogs you can possibly sell are people that went to that movie today and have put in their ticket. Well, one advantage that we have is that all, all, we're, we essentially don't charge for our product. So anything that's developed is by the community because they – they want to give back to the community. So, so for us to take a community plugin and sort of make it part of the site, and actually there's a couple of things I'm looking at that I'm going to do. Like people have come up with these really cool uh, uh, Grease Monkey plugins. Um, and one example of where we've already done that is the interesting tags, ignore tags sort of sidebar uh, where mm-hmm. as you're browsing the site, you can sort of highlight the things that you like and hide the things that you don't like. That began life as a, a, a Grease Monkey plugin that somebody built. So, you know, we contacted the author. I mean... You know, to, and we 
right. didn't actually do everything that he did. Yeah. Uh, but the heart of it, we did actually uh, incorporate into the site. And I, I think that's a much more copacetic arrangement than, you know, you're charging money for it and all of a sudden now sure. I'm stealing money from your baby's, you know, yeah. food. Right. <laughs> Uh, so this is, an, uh, I guess, another class of problems that kind of goes away once you sort of move to this no more charging for – I mean, basically ad subsidized. <laughs> well, that's not why it went away. It went away because this was not something that somebody was trying to make their living off of. But you couldn't. I mean, there's no way you – I guess you could. I mean, you could make some plug-in for Stack Overflow that you, know, you charged money for. That would be really bizarre. Or put your own ads in. I don't know. I'm sure there's examples of this out there in the world somewhere we could find but the, the the large crux of the tension is that you're in a pay ecosystem. I mean, you're not you're not no, you're no longer snatching nickels from the path of the oncoming steamroller. You're just clearing things out of the way of the steamroller, <laughs> right? right? Because you like the steamroller. Right? Well, if you I mean, make the, an the, ecosystem, the money more. factor's not there. Yeah. Um, anyway, what's new in Stack Overflow? It's uh, been we didn't really well, talk about anything new last week. So what's new in the last two weeks? Uh, let's see. Well, we have account association up and running. That was a big... Because all of a sudden, we had four oh, yeah, sites. Yeah. That's so, right. sort of one day, I woke up and realized that it was ridiculous that we didn't have our own meta discussion site. Like, I finally had the epiphany that I should have had months and months ago, which was that we should use our own engine to handle our bugs and discussion and all that stuff we were currently using. Yeah, which, using uh, which podcast was that that I told you that we should do that? <laughs> Oh, I'm sure it was way back when. I mean, people have been telling me this for a while, but I think what it is, I, I just hate meta discussion so much. Like, I just, I, right. I realize it's necessary on some level, but I just, I really, on a personal level, have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I was trying to pretend it wasn't necessary, and finally I, like, I realized that I woke up to reality. So once I did that, we had three sites, and then we had already been planning to launch Super Users, so then we had four sites. So all these number of site uh, problems became very serious all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. In other words, the idea that, you know, you need to associate your account between sites so you don't have to, like, type in your username and details on every single site every time. Uh, the fact that when you move a question from site to site, that needs to happen in a rational, sustainable way where identity is preserved and all this other stuff. So we started to have all these serious cross-site problems. So all those tasks having to do with cross-site uh, implementations and code became super high priority. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do actually have that up. So if, if you're a Stack Overflow user, actually if you're a user on any of the sites, go to the Accounts tab on your user page and there's a way to associate uh, so you click on, you click on your username at the top of the page, click on Accounts, and then you can tell it to associate the account from the other... Yes, and there's a, there's a reputation bonus for doing this. It's 100 reputation per site that you do this. I did it with incentive. two sites, and I only got 100. Shouldn't I get – there's four sites, right? So shouldn't I get 700 no, points I, for like – Apparently, every, I, apparently I suck at explaining this because everybody has the same <laughs> – like, doesn't it work like X? I'm like, no, it doesn't work like X. So apparently I suck at explaining this. <laughs> the intent of the feature is that say we launch really another care. site. I don't care how many points I have. I know, but I'm just saying I, I'm concerned because I don't yeah. like failing to communicate. That's really my deeper concern here. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I guess keep the intent of the feature in mind. Maybe this is the way I should explain it. If we launch another site tomorrow, crazyoverflow.com, it's all about posting funny cartoons. Sure. Well, you're going to start out as, with a, as a Rep1 user. Well, that mm-hmm. kind of sucks because as a Rep1 user, you can't do very much. Mm-hmm. But the intent is since you have an account on one of our other sites where you have, you know, 
200, 300 reputation, enough to prove that you're not a noob, mm-hmm. uh, you should be able to not be a noob on the new side as well. How many points? So the association do you need some you minimum use. number of points on those other sides to get the... You do. Yeah. There's some pretty severe restrictions on new users. Like, new users can't post more than one link. No, no, but new I mean, how many, in order to get the 100 free points that you get from joining the other... Right, from associating. From account. associating. Do you have to have a certain number of points on the other site? You do. You do to prevent gaming. It's 200. Right. Okay. Because originally we had it at 100, 100, and then we realized you could, like, basically spawn accounts and just keep giving them rep, like, they're... There's these weird little exploits you get into if you don't think through all the numbers and how they work and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have to have 200 reputation minimum on at least one of the sites in the paired association. And it's actually a network association. So once you associate, all the, the accounts are associated with each other. There's a GUID that gets written that's the same on all, say, four sites. And then it becomes much easier for us to keep track of your identity. So if you migrate a question, we can tell it's you no matter what site you're on. You said so GUID. That was a... I did say good. Is it wrong? Say good? No. Um, it just made me think of something that I, I wanted to talk about, but it's not really related to Stack Overflow. Okay. I'm going to steal it. Well, a topic account association from, uh, is probably the big thing yeah. that we're working on. Another thing that we're actually okay. considering now is we actually we occasionally go back and tweak the formula. We realize that we got something wrong or that the interpretation or the way it's being used now is not really what we had in mind, say, nine to ten months ago. It's been almost a year since we've been working on this stuff. One of those things we're belatedly realizing we got wrong mm-hmm. was, remember how, so an upvote is worth 10 points. So if somebody upvotes you, you get 10 points of reputation. And if somebody downvotes you, you lose two points and they lose one point. Well, we're belatedly realizing that this nerfs downvotes to the point of oblivion. Like, the reason that's kind of a problem, and, and to get to specific examples, we have users, a certain class of users, come to the site and ask just hundreds, literally hundreds of questions mm-hmm. that are not very good. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking questions that aren't very good. We go in and fix them and all that stuff. The, the problem becomes these people get a lot of what we call pity upvotes, meaning people will vote their stuff down because it's not very good. It's just not well constructed. They didn't put much effort into it. They're not trying. They're just not putting any effort into their own questions. They're, they're saying, hey, just do my work for me. Right. Which I view as the only real sin of Stack Overflow. is just the, do my work for me. I'm too lazy to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's bad. That's penalized. We want people to downvote stuff like that because that is not the behavior that we want. We're trying to discourage it. So people would downvote it, and other people would feel sorry for this person. Oh, negative two. Oh, that's terrible. I'll upvote this to compensate. Well, you've just negated five downvotes. Uh-huh. So over time, if this person asks a hundred of those questions and the same thing happens on each, every one of those questions, that person ends up with a substantial amount of reputation. We're talking like you can get up to like a thousand, two thousand reputation. Sometimes the question just by gets, sheer uh, force. yeah, sometimes the question gets cleaned up to the point at which it deserves some of those upvotes too. Right. And, and that's fine. That's not really the case that I'm worried about. Okay. Um, I just, just worried about the pity. The, uh, the pity is a problem. Uh, and I think also just in general, like the occasional just random upvotes that they'll get. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're really seriously considering, and actually this has been brought up by John Skeet and Mark Ravel independently, I think, um, making downvotes be negative five now. So uh, each downvote is worth half of an upvote, which we think is a more fair representation. And this also means sort of the bottom tier of users where we actually don't have that many downvotes in the system. Downvoting is not like a major... Right. Uh, occupation in Stack Overflow. So this really doesn't affect many users, honestly. And, uh, but, the, but the users that do get lots of downvotes, they tend to stay at low rep, which is what we want. Well, they, they're I mean, free maybe, to use the site. 
Maybe you want to distinguish between a downvote on a question and a downvote on an answer. Because uh, uh, I've looked at that. I, I've never, just, I don't think I've ever downvoted a question because that just seems to me like for some reason I just don't care um, enough. But w sometimes I'll see an answer that I think is just technically incorrect or makes a mistake, even a common mistake. There's nothing malevolent in it. I just want it to be low, low rank because it's, you know, it's wrong or it's, it reflects common knowledge but not the actual correct knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, here's an example. I asked a question. Uh, for example, I asked a question saying, how do you in a web.config file uh, indicate that a particular folder should not be served at all because it contains utility files that shouldn't be served? And um, there's, like a, there's like an allow, deny kind of thing that you can use. Mm -hmm. And that's, the, that's what people assume would work. And that does not actually work because that is a, like a .NET directive and that only affects like ASPX pages. That doesn't actually affect all files. So if there's any static files, text files, images and stuff that are Did in there. Did you not make that clear in your question? I would view that as a fault of the question if you didn't make that clear. Uh, doesn't even matter whether I made that clear because that was the first thing that I tried and it didn't work. I guess I, what did I should you have say said, the question should have said, I tried this and the following thing didn't work. Yes, you should have. But it was, it, was, it was a wrong answer, but it was the answer, it was an intuitive answer. It was the answer you would get if you went to the, the, the documentation, and the documentation didn't tell you this is not the way to do it. So, like, that's an example where, you know what, I just want that to be, to not receive points. I want to take away a point from that answer because it's just wrong. And uh, let's assume that it's not the fault of the question. <laughs> just for the sake of this discussion. <laughs> but uh, it's always kind of the fault of the question. That's a false assumption. I think well, the question, the... Anyway, continue. No, that's not true. It's a fault of... It's, sometimes somebody answers wrong. They just think that this is the right answer, or they look it up in the documentation, or they think that this is how it works, and they never actually tested it, and lo and behold, that is not how it works, and your answer is wrong. And you should be penalized a little bit, but it's not like a do-my-homework-for-me kind of situation. Well, you know, I, not, I've had that happen. There's nothing malevolent about it. I just want it to be ranked low, and I want something else ranked higher because your answer is not good. <laughs> That's all. But it's it, nothing. It, it's not it, as bad as do-my-homework-for-me when you're asking a question in a sloppy way. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a sloppy answer because you didn't actually test it. Well, you'd have to read the question. I have gotten annoyed because I've actually asked questions where I explained, okay, I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this. Right. Um, and then somebody's like, oh, you should try this. I was like, did you read the question? And I've actually <laughs> downvoted things for that. And actually, people are like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't read that. So that's a fair downvote. But I think what we're getting back to, ironically, yeah. is, is my point about the importance of having a, a freaking decent question. Like, you have to talk about, here's what I tried. Here's what I haven't tried. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have, writing questions is an art. And that's there's why so, the There's some questions where I actually, I, I would like to see qu more questions where even if you've tried something and it didn't work, maybe that's not even relevant to the question. Maybe that should be... I mean, it sort of is, but a lot of times you've got a question where it's like, I'm having a problem with such and such. This thing is not working, and it should be. And mm -hmm. there are 14 different answers that are, did you try X? Did you try Y? You know, maybe you forgot to set this. Maybe you forgot to turn that off. Maybe your CD-ROM drive door is open. Um, maybe you, know, you had too much coffee this morning, and you try each of, each of those things. And, and they're all reasonable answers in the sense that they could all have been the problem but they didn't happen to be the problem. You know, so, so maybe this is the, I'm having the following problem, what could be causing it? And there are 20 different things that could cause it. And 20 people correctly gave you 20 possible things that it could be. And maybe all of them were wrong, or maybe only one of them happened to hit upon what it actually was. And so um, that is still a very, very useful thing, because what now Stack Overflow has is an awesome checklist. It's like everything that you can check when 
you're trying to serve a file. I mean, think, think about the classic example. You, you boot up your new computer. You put the web server on it somehow. You put the mm-hmm. file in the place where you think the web server is serving the files from. You go there with your web browser to localhost slash foo.html, and you get a blank page, or you get nothing. And this happened to me the other day. And the reason was that Skype was running. Did you know about this? Like on, a, yep. on an arbitrary computer, Skype will try to make a web server that's useless and take over your port right. 80. And yep. so uh, you then try to run the web server. You try, you try to run IIS, for example. You get extremely cryptic error messages, like the file could not be opened. And the file that it's trying to open is port 80, which is a file in the world of IIS. And uh, so the, even the error message is kind of useless. But the number of things that could be going wrong that could produce the, this, this particular result is ginormous. And you, kind of, you don't want the question to be, ah, I tried to blah, 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 and then there's only one correct answer, which is that Skype was running. What you really want the question to be over the long run, and this is the whole wiki, I guess I'm always going to be the wiki boy, is what are the things that could cause it to be that my web server is not serving files? And then you want there to be a long checklist of 20 things, 20 different people suggesting things that you should go check that could be preventing your web server from serving files. Oh, right. That's already what happens. Well, I don't understand True. why we're talking about this, because that is effectively what happens. What um, why are we ta- we're talking about this because uh, I would rather see That's a question like that, working. that is like, what are the things that I need to check if my web server is not? I'd rather see a question like that because that's going to be useful for the generations than a question. Wait, but you just wait, wait, no, you just out, like you just it couldn't be this. Well, well, what I'm saying is, don't write a question saying I already checked this and I already checked that and I already checked this and I already checked that. Putting that in the question makes the question less global, less universal. It makes it specific well, if, about if your problem. Well, I disagree. I think if you're ruling out some of the obvious stuff, then I think you have to. Plus, if sometimes people will give you answers you don't want, like you'll say, "How do I do this in JavaScript?" And you can't use jQuery. Like, you cannot. There's some corporate directive where you, can't, you have to. Right. Nine of your answers are going to be, use jQuery, use jQuery, use jQuery. But okay. those are not helpful to yeah. you. You have to rule that out. Well, okay. so I think there's, there's that's fine. some So then that's a fundamental part of the question. Put it right in the title. How do I do X without jQuery? jQuery yeah. free ways to do X. But, but right. I'm, what I'm talking about is I'm always, like, looking to change the Stack Overflow question, if you can, from a boring, I am having the following trouble, get me out of my trouble, which is okay too. But, I, I, but, but there's another level you can go up to, a higher level where you say, people, you know, what's the general problem here? And, and mm-hmm. what are the general solutions here? And instead of just like solving my problem, let's, let's make a, a, a wiki page about people that get this. Maybe it's a particular error message that can be, there are 14 different ways to get it. Right? So I don't want that question to die just because I've solved my problem. I want that question to remain the place on the Internet where this particular error message, you get all the different people talking about all the different things that can happen that can cause this error message and all the different things you should check for. Right. No, I agree with that, and I think that's effectively what is happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess what I'm really saying here is I, um, I, I'm try- I, I want uh, – um, y- you know, sometimes people sort of prematurely – they ask a question, they sort of prematurely say, I thought of blah, 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 and it's not that. Like that, maybe I'd almost rather see it as like your own answer. Like you ask the question, and then your first answer you put up there is, could it be such and such? And then you say, no, well, it wasn't in my particular case. But that is a good thing to check for because it could be in other cases. Well, this entire discussion to me just emphasizes the importance of like really thinking about questions before you ask them. Because like Mm -hmm. when I go to ask questions on Stack Overflow, I put tons of thought into it. Because I guess because it's my baby and I feel like 
if I'm going to ask a question, it needs to be a good question. I need right. to have all the information there that people need to help me. I need to put some of the basic troubleshooting I've done just so they know where I am. And uh, actually, I have an example, and I actually put this in the show notes. So we had a, a DNS problem mm -hmm. with uh, server fault, which is that certain people were reporting they couldn't get to server fault, like it didn't exist in DNS. And of course, it works on my machine. Mm -hmm. And I went to this service <laughs> called Just Ping, which pings from like, 30 different locations in the world. And sure enough, I validated that in certain areas of the world, the DNS is just not there for, for server fault. And I have no idea why this is happening. I mean, I'm not a... Wow. I, I'm a Bush League server guy at best, right? So I actually posted on server fault uh, about this and said, okay, for the people that can see the site, obviously, <laughs> yeah. here's what I did on just ping, and I put a screenshot of the just ping results in, and I put in my thoughts, okay, well, I haven't changed anything with DNS that I know of, um, is there something I should be doing with DNS to prevent this? And like, how would you actually go about fixing this? What do you do when you see a problem with DNS? Like, what's the, the process of triggering a fix mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. you haven't done anything? Mm -hmm. And I, before I even asked the question, I, I did some research and you know, I tried to write it up. And I, the way you ask the question is really, really important. So yeah. I, anything we can do to encourage people to ask good questions, that's why I'm so deeply concerned about these users that continually ask really, really bad questions. Yep. Uh, and they don't seem to learn. Like, they, they'll ask 50, 60 questions, and the 60th question, the ask is just as bad as the first. Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't done any work, they haven't done any editing, they haven't, like, moved the code over so it's actually syntax highlighted. Yeah. Really basic things. Like, they're not learning. And that is troubling to me on a very deep level, like to the point that I almost like want to come up with ways to actively get rid of users like that. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet, but I just want to have ways of encouraging them to do the right thing. We need more encouragement to lead them to the path of enlightenment. Um, so, you know what we could do is we could try training a Bayesian filter and see if it finds them. One thing I've considered is like, putting in like... You just lost 100 like, points because the Bayesian filter hates you. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Well, they're going to start losing points before the periods and the end of your sentences, but ah, it knows. Yeah, well, they're going to start losing more points for downvotes. That's the, one of the solutions. And then the other solution that we're looking at longer term is we need to have some sort of ratio and effect where if you don't have enough reputation, yeah. you can't ask just tons so do and it, tons of do questions. It, I, I, try, so, so this is where this is how we got into this whole conversation. Is I said do it on the question. So like, get, there's more of a penalty for asking a bad question than for coming up with an answer which is happens to be wrong. So keep it at minus two for an answer that gets downvoted, but put it to like minus eight for a question which gets and the whole question got downvoted. That's like, I mean, because people don't vote on questions that often. That's true. I mean, one thing we have thought about some kind of ratio system to encourage yeah. voting on questions. And hey, certainly having the weight of those be stronger would be a way to do that. I really want to encourage uh, voting on questions because, um, you know, one of the things I'm noticing is as, the, as, as our as Stack Overflow fills up with lots of good answers is that it's probably gotten to the point where most of the questions I'm going to have as a, as a bad programmer are already answered in Stack Overflow. Uh, it's just that there's not, you know, we don't have a great way for a search engine to really rank them unless people we vote. Do. No, we do. That's not true. That's not true. Our sitemap includes a weighting score. No, for our, search, for our search engine to rank the results that come up. So, for example, just to give you an example, um, a lot of times I'm asking for something very simple, and I'll type in a few simple keywords, and the results come back, and there's no way of knowing which is the core question that is about this simple thing with these simple keywords. For example, today, I wanted to know how in .NET to generate a cryptographically secure random string uh, that I could use as like a temporary password kind of thing. Well, and you know we have a vote sort on search results. Is that not 
what you're looking for? Uh, that sorts based on what? Votes. On, on votes. I know, I know. So, so, so where I was going with this is uh, in order for that to work well, I need, I need people to vote things up. <laughs> when oh. you see, so if you see a question, if you land on a question that really solves your problem, please vote the question up. If you land on a question that you think is very general, very useful, and very helpful, very clear, very simple, very straightforward, it's answering some straightforward thing, please vote it up. If you land on a question that's esoteric, badly written, and not going anywhere, you know, vote it down. So that over time, you know, the, the, the common problems that people have and that they, that they type into our search box uh, are at least likely to be identified and, and, and flow to the top in some way. That's true. I mean, we... We do have a lot of questions that are at zero or one or two votes. It's probably right. the most common vote right. score in the system right. for questions. Yeah, people it's don't bother point. to vote on, on the questions nearly as much. On the answers, they're like, ah, oh, this is wrong, or oh, this is right, or oh, this is very well written. <laughs> but, uh, but with the questions, they just don't, uh, you know, they don't have as strong an opinion about the question. A lot of times, I think they see a bunch of questions there, and they just don't know anything about the topic, and they just ignore them. They don't vote them up or down, and it's like, you know. Uh, I'm going to take that under advisement. I think that's a good uh, piece of advice. And I've also started to tend to write about this stuff on meta.stackoverflow.com. If, if there needs to be a discussion around, should we do X? Um, like, for example, now, another thing we're considering is having bounty pools. Like, people see questions that they want definitively answered that are just stagnant, that don't have mm-hmm. a good answer in their opinion, mm-hmm. but they don't own the question. So if oh. you own the question, you, can put a you could start a bounty. Now we're thinking about letting people take their rep and put it into a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of bump that up and say, hey, this is a really good question, and nobody's really answered this to our satisfaction. Um, but one of the complexities there is dealing with how does the answer get selected? Because now all these people are invested, have invested their own reputation in it, so they have uh, also a vested interest in seeing the correct, quote-unquote, or at least a good answer get selected. So the question is, like, how do you yeah. do that in a fair way? So that's something that we'll discuss on Meta. So keep an eye out for that. I'll, try to, I'll post that today and link it in the show notes. Cool. Do we have any questions? Audio questions. questions? Oh, you know, from listeners and stuff? Yeah, wait. Well, I have a little bit of Stack Overflow news, which is that Aaron has started working here. Have you talked to him yet? I uh, got his email. It's okay. okay. You should Skype him or something. I gave him a little Skype headset so he could talk to you. Yes. He's the, uh, he's a, the new Fog Creek programmer who's working on Stack Exchange, and he's already got good stuff going there. Good. Good deal. Yeah, I got his email. And then we're already we're running into... The issue where we use the uh, the database tool, the team edition for database, that's problematic. Right. You guys don't have a way of getting that. Uh, we can, but it's just it just doesn't seem like it's worth it just to have just to have this one schema yeah. thing we, that it gives you the database schema thingamajiggy. We must know the right people at Microsoft because we got um, MSDN subscriptions that included Team System. I guess you guys don't have that. No, that's what you got because you're in the BizSpark program. But but for us to get that would cost like. $3,000, I think we discovered, which I would pay, but it just doesn't seem like it's worth $3,000 to get a copy of the database schema. We already have that script that you guys gave us. Right. That has it. So it may be well, just this a is a of, cautionary tale. This is a cautionary tale about tooling, which is why I want to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe uh, we should, instead of just having this conversation, tell the listeners who are listening to this so-called podcast that we're producing what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, didn't we? Yeah. We just did. So uh, we're using a certain tool. That the, it's Joel the Visual have. Studio Team Edition for database developers. Now, Team, what the heck do they call that? It's a very advanced right. version of right. Visual Studio that has specific tools for database developers. And the tool that right. they and have. Since we're, 
lets you make a database project. And right. we have a database project in the Stack Overflow source code. Yes, yes. And, and that lets yeah. us do stuff like diff the database and put the changes under, you know, into files that then go into source control and yep. you know, data comparisons and things like that. You can do, um, there's a better tool for all of this, which is Redgate, SQL diff and SQL compare and SQL compare. Does it, does it actually create a project in Visual Studio? Uh, well, maybe not. But, <laughs> but it will let you... Okay. Um, uh, compare databases and check them in and stuff like that, and then cre- you know create right. uh, scripts for for the database. And the coolest thing that that, that, I, that I use it for all the time. This is um, a product uh, from Redgate Software. Uh, it's called SQL Compare, I think. And and you can point it to two databases. And there's two versions: one that looks at the schema, and one that looks like at the the data itself. It will actually look at the rows, and it'll tell you all Ooh, the differences Joel? between those databases. Huh? Wow, Joel, I totally lost you. Whoa. Are you, are, are you, do you hear me now? Wow. Can you hear me now? I, I do. There was just a bunch of static and silence. That was weird. Hmm. Static? We'll that. I, yeah, it it, was like it a, didn't happen over here. Don't have to edit weird. it. Maybe that was a Skype problem. Uh, must be. Anyway. Uh, okay, so SQL uh, compare from Redgate Software. You pointed at two databases. And usually half the time the way I'm doing it is I'm pointing it at my dev database and then I'm pointing it at the live database to see... Um, what the differences are, and then I, I make some changes to my dev database, I write the code, I get it all up and running, and then I do another diff, what's the difference between my database and the live database, and I can see, oh look, there's those three fields that I added in that one table that I added, and then I just tell it to copy it onto the live database by pushing another button, and it does that. And it's extremely right, so you- meticulous about showing you all the differences and letting you check the differences that you want to migrate and ignore the differences that don't matter. This is another advantage of open source stuff, is that we wouldn't be having this discussion because there would be no license cost for you guys. You would just immediately start using what we're using. Right. Now we have to have this whole conversation about we have to pick tools that we're both happy with the licensing on. Yeah. I mean, I don't really mind paying $3,000 for this, but it just seems to me like it's such a small thing that we can work around the lack of this tool in, you know, in about a half an hour. <laughs> and that, to me, is worth $3,000. I mean, if it was going to take a day work to to to... to you know, use something else or re-implement it or, um, anywho, uh, let's see, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be looking for, uh, interesting stack overflow questions from, from listeners that have called in, right? So you can tell yes. I haven't really done my, my homework. Um, so here we hey go. Hey guys, JD Long in Chicago. <clears throat> I'm a member of the R, the language R, and, uh, most of the community is still using one of two or three or four mail list serves for questions and answers and a whole bunch of this is syntactic questions and to have on Stack Overflow but there hasn't been a critical movement yet although there's been a few Stack Overflow and we're trying to think about how to move the community or encourage the community to show that and we're thinking about maybe once a month or once a week putting some of the most relevant goods from the email list over on Stack Overflow uh, maybe getting a little critical map do you, you guys have any ideas about how to move a community, how to encourage uh, folks to, because I really think once they start using Stack Overflow, the email listserv will seem fantastically to So we'd love your input. Great podcast. Really enjoy Stack Overflow. Thanks a lot, guys. So sorry about the audio, audio quality there. Um, but uh, yeah, R, is that a statistics package or something? Is that what you're talking uh, about? The R I don't know language. much about the R. I actually don't know right much now. about the R language. In fact, let's go to Stack Overflow now and see how What's many there? things are tagged. 
course, it's R. Are you allowed to have a tag that's just the letter R? Well, luckily, I put in code that shows the exact match for a tag at the top because searching for a tag named R yeah. becomes... We do a contains search. <laughs> so yeah, you can yeah. see where this becomes a problem. Number two but is actually, JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I put in code that actually checks for an exact match and puts that nice. at the top. You yeah. have to do a join. That's and we got 57 weak. questions, but that's not so... Uh... 57. So it's, it's a pretty small thing. Yeah, we're getting about uh, one a day. And let's see, I'm looking in Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, it's a programming language and software environment for statistical computing and graphics. It's an implementation of the S programming language, le- lexical scoping semantics impar- inspired by Scheme, and created in New Zealand. Oh, there's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had mailed you about this because uh, somebody had mailed me about it. Uh, Alex Vincent is going to OSCon, which is going on right now in San Jose, actually. And he had mentioned that there was a panel on Stack Overflow there. And I was like, what? I haven't heard anything about this. And I actually clicked through to it. And I, I really like what they did. And so I'm going to read part of it here. So it says, we're going to use a, fl- a lead of flash mob to populate Stack Overflow with R language content. Uh, and it says here R has a notoriously steep learning curve, which is already a little scary. Uh, but it says here, we have developed a list of the most common 100 technical R questions based on analysis of the web portal, the, the archives, and the user groups. And in the first hour, participants will pair up to claim a question, formulate it on Stack Overflow, and provide a comprehensive answer. And oh, then the second slick. hour... I know, it's super awesome. And then in the second hour, participants will rate, review, and comment on the set of submitted questions and answers. So this is a completely ethical and totally sanctioned, like, I, I love the approach. They're taking a best-of mm-hmm. approach, which is already great. Mm-hmm. And this is a completely legitimate use of Stack Overflow to, to bring content to it. Because it's user-driven. In other words, it's bottom-up. It's not like some company says, we're going to put all our X product questions on Stack Overflow, which I actually don't like. But it's bottom-up, meaning it's actual users of the language uh, deciding, you know, these are really common questions. Let's actually go ahead and get better information out there and actually have a, a, a rating system around it. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally condone this, and I think it's, on top of that, I think it's very, very cool. So uh, I'm actually going to put this up on the blog right after I finish the podcast. So cool. That's a great question and uh, an excellent example of using Stack Overflow for good and not evil. Here's another listener question. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jeff. My name is Sergey, and I'm calling from Melbourne, Australia. I've been a listener of your podcast since episode one. Thank you for what you do and keep doing a good job. Here's my question. I am a programmer in a small IT company, and being a good programmer, which I consider myself to be, I often see my fellow junior teammates program things which are not optimal. I tried to teach them how to do things better, but I found they just don't want to learn. They are comfortable with what they do, and learning basically means walking an additional mile for them, which I don't want to do. Some even complained to my manager for sticking my nose in their business, and he asked me not to do it again. What would you do in a situation like that? Thanks. And you are welcome to visit my blog, which is sergis-tech.blogspot.com. Well, if I go to his blog, he's just going to tell me what to do. (laughs) Why would I do that? (laughs) Uh, I actually have a blog entry about this. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's tricky. I mean, helping other people help themselves is always tricky because if you do it even slightly, they get a whiff of doing it the wrong way. It's like they turn on you because they feel like you're trying to <laughs> A, tell them they suck or B, sort of tell them how to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it, I think you have to walk a really fine line. It's like, how do you lead a horse to water? You know, um, honestly, get another job. Uh, yeah, this is a tough one. Um, 
It seems like, like I mean, there's, a, there's, there's, there's people that don't know things. And then there's people that don't want to know things. Like, they're perfectly satisfied with the way they're doing things. And they're just, and it, it, they're just not going to get that interested. You know, they're just, they, they just, if you try to bug them about improving their job skills and their programming skills and whatnot, they're, it's just bugging them. And really all they're trying to do is figure out how to make you go away <laughs> as quickly as possible. So that's not a good position to be in, obviously. I actually found the blog entry. It's actually very funny, so I'm kind of glad I did, actually. It's called Leading by Example, mm-hmm. and the image that I put up was of, you know, uh, the movie Full Metal Jacket, uh, senior drill instructor, gunnery sergeant Hartman? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an image of him going, you little scumbag, I've got your name, I've got your ass, you will not laugh, you will not cry, you will learn by the numbers, I will teach you. So, I mean, not that Sergei is is doing this, but... That's how people see it sometimes, you know. They they think you're cajoling and berating them, and wow, it you have to be very very tricky. Um, yeah. And Den- Dennis Forbes had a great post. One of my favorite posts that Dennis has ever written actually uh, was about how to sort of avoid being shot down by your own team. And I'm just going to read like the the bullet points here. One is be be humble. Mm-hmm. You know, like always presume that you're in the wrong, and they they have some good reason for doing the stupid thing that they're doing. Right. You should certainly <laughs> act them- that way. Yes, act as if they're doing this retarded thing for some <laughs> rational reason, even if, you know, they're not. Uh, they are for some definition of rational, which is whatever bizarre things go on in their brain, <laughs> the way yeah. their brain works. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, be discreet with constructive criticism. Like, like any sort of thing that would remotely be considered criticism, like try to put it in the least offensive possible terms, mm-hmm. bordering on praise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but at some uh, point, this is just not going to help. <laughs> well, I, th- I think also that that's why it's called leading by example. Because to me, that was the big takeaway was you lead people – you show people what to do by doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and if they're going to observe the world at all and see that you're successful and doing really well at this, they're going to try to emulate you. Otherwise, they don't care at which point it's a lost cause because they're not observant about the world. Right. Uh, and you know, actions speak louder than words. So – do this stuff and sort of show them, look, you know, well, not show them, but just let them see that it's, it's working, right? And they'll, if they're observant at all, we'll see that and, and want to... See, but the trouble it. is that I think that you're assuming a particular... I mean, you're assuming a, a kind of workplace, a kind of team where people care about stuff like, does it work? And can we develop software better? And so the first thing you have to do is make a decision about whether there's any hope at all. There are, I mean, let's say that I, Jeff, forced you to take a job making pizza. I, there was just the economy collapsed and there, were no, there was no more demand for software ever again. Mm-hmm. And, and your job was just to make pizza every day. And at some point, you're in a pizza place and it sucks and you're making pizza for eight hours. And there's some guy that keeps wanting to make better pizza and he's got some bizarre method and you just want to do your eight hours and go home because it sucks and you hate it. But you know what the funny thing is, though? I can totally see myself more getting... Out of, yeah, it's true. You would get into You would be that guy. I would totally get into it. I would be, like, obsessed with making the perfect pizza. I think, yeah. But this, uh, this is it's maybe... like the baristas that's... with their latte art, right? Yeah, because... <laughs> well, my you know, whole job <laughs> is I'm a coffee jerk. And, and my job... And I'm going to come up with a way of making art on the surface of the latte using the coffee and the milk so it looks really beautiful. Right. So maybe you want to be part of a chain where they're actually interested in, you know, whatever it is yeah. they're doing, yes. you know. 
You have to find. What I'm saying is somewhere, somewhere out there, there's a there's a Department of Motor Vehicles. There's a group of people where none of them give a crap how good a job they do. They don't want to get better. They don't want to be more successful. They don't want it to work. They just want to do their eight hours and get paid and go home. And and those kind of places, you can tell them because they have very strict union rules in place so that nobody can ever get fired. Uh, and and people are motivated by the threat of 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 being punished. You know, that's the only thing that keeps them at all performing in any way, shape or form above zero. Although a bunch of them have probably figured out a way to make it look like they're working and not actually work. And uh, you try to go into an organization like that and, 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 and get people all fired up about scrum and it's not going to happen. Just give up. Just quit. It's a cultural, it's a cultural problem. Now, it that's, may not be a place like that. You should that. be a motivational speaker. <laughs> Just give up and quit. That's what give you get. Up. Just quit. Give up. You can't it's not possible. Get them excited. You know what? You can't. Most, most. I've been in so many places. I, I remember when I uh, first encountered this. I, I was, I was sort of in disbelief when I was working as a consultant, and I was sent to an investment bank, to the, you know, the programming department in the bowels of an investment bank to do something that they didn't want to do and nobody cared about, and they didn't want it when it was done, and none of the people there liked their job, and they were all just friggin' miserable, and. You know, and I would try to get them excited. I'd be like, don't you want to be like the leading edge? Don't you want there to be articles about how cool the code you guys write it? And they're like, we're an investment bank. We, you know, there, if there's going to be articles, it's going to be about some financial engineering that we did. Those are the people that matter here. That's the mm-hmm. exciting things that are going on, are, are happening on the trading floor. Not the, the code that maintains it all. That's a frigging utility. It's just, it's just boring. We're not the best and the brightest. We're not going to be the best and the brightest. We're not. This is, we're just doing a job and then going home. Well, and it was depressing, but it's true. And, and, and there was just no way. I mean, come on. Can you, can you imagine going to, going to a gas station and trying to get all the people that work in the gas station all excited about the idea of being best of breed, best practices gas station? I guess the only way that could work Car is if you, wash. Were part, hmm? if you were part owner of the gas station, right? If you had some material stake in the gas station or the pizza it, it's shop. It's conceivable that you could find, let's say, a car wash or a detailing center where the people are just obsessed and they're always talking about what, you know, what chamois to buy so that you can polish the buff up the Porsches. The or, best. No, no, no. I think the ownership thing, it's like come up with, maybe this is just a co-op question of having these yeah. crazy hippie business models where everybody's an owner. Right. But then you actually care about like throughput, like how many cars can we get washed, and like yeah. how good job right. can we do right. really right. super super mega efficiently? Because that dictates money and success, you know. So yeah. maybe that's that's I don't know. But I hate we're, to be depressing here, but I think most of and, and I, th- I think you can tell them because they used to. I don't know if they still do, but the discussion boards on the Joel and Software Discussion Forum used to be full of these people saying, "I'm quitting. I hate this job. I hate programming. I'm getting out of the IT field. It sucks. My life is miserable." And I never understood all these people. But I mean, there are lo- lots of places where you can be working as a programmer, and it will suck, and your job will be miserable, and all the people suck. And no matter how how excited you got about that peopleware or that code complete you just read, and you come mm-hmm. in and you try to get people to to give a flying f about version control for example let's use version control it's the latest thing <laughs> too experimental too new yeah no, we can't. no but it's not even that Risky. it's like oh god oh god now he's gonna have another thing i just want to <laughs> finish my i have to make the form for the insurance uh, people they want a form where they can put in social security numbers with the dashes have them automatically appear and i just want to go home and pick up my kids and take my daughter to ballet class i don't want right. to well, I think you should. I think you should try. And, uh, and I, I mean, it sounds like in the, in the specific example the caller had, he has tried and has not. I mean, he's been actively care. rejected, yeah. which is kind of a bummer. So maybe you're right at that point. As long as you've tried, 
uh, in a rational way where you weren't being accidentally kind of <laughs> rude and not realizing it, uh, then maybe it is a, a point in which you kind of have to move on and find others of your type um, or start your own business where everybody cares about stuff, right? Where everybody has a material stake in success and they would be actually be motivated to yeah. be more efficient if nothing else, right? Or just find one of those places where there are bright people who care. Well, I mean, even if you want to just get home at the end of the day, isn't yeah. there a way of working where you can work ultra-efficiently and get home early, as early as possible? There must be something I mean, in these institutions. No, because, because it's not that you get home any earlier. You still have to sit there until 5 o'clock yeah, but like at you your could, desk looking at the screensaver. I guess that's true. Playing Minesweeper. Yeah, but it's, it's probably been disabled. But what they do, people rename it Notepad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Now you've made me all depressed with your uh, answer to this question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a couple of, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I, I get a lot of questions. People email me and they say, you know, whenever it's like my workers don't want to learn and I'm working with, a lot of times I really feel like, you know, the problem here is that you care about different things than they care about. You care about working well and they care about going home. And maybe they care about other stuff. Like maybe they care about uh, their families, or maybe they care about what they do in their part-time, or maybe they're just apathetic people that don't care about anything, or maybe they're just really kind of stupid and they just don't get it. And, and none of those are things that you're going to be able to overcome unless you're, you, you, you have solved the great motivational problem that nobody has ever been able to solve. Um, but the other possibility, I, I think a lot of times what happens is that a lot of times there are people that, 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 um, uh, um, that are, uh, you know, I'll get email from people saying, I can't get my coworkers to listen to me about blah, 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 blah. And, and the problem is sometimes with the person who's complaining to me that a lot of times maybe they're not so good at communicating or at interpersonal skills. They're not really reading their workers correctly. And I got, um, uh, you know, once I, once I got an email from somebody who, uh, oh, I don't even want to go into it. So well, well, this is the same piece of advice that Dennis Forbes had, which yeah. is, you know, always presume, even if it's not always presuming that it's your fault, you know, that yeah. you're at fault. Yes, yes. That's what you got to say. And exactly. that's being humble. I mean, that is humility. Yes. So yes. I, I think you have to start with that. Right. Uh, and then that said, the, your point seems to be like, don't kill yourself trying to make this happen. Like sometimes you can either change your job or change your job, right? Like you can get a different job. Right. Uh, so don't kill yourself trying to make this happen. If you've given it, you know, a good faith effort and you've done it in a, in a humble way, then that's really all you can do. Uh, and you need to move on and find something else. I mean, cause the goal is to have happiness. And I mean, why would you continue to work at a place where you're stymied at every turn and you can't, yeah, right. you have to make a change. So, all right. Well, if you have a question that you want Jeff and I to talk about on a future show, could you please call in the podcast hotline at 646-826-3879. Try to keep it under 90 seconds. Or you can record an MP3 or Ogvorbis file and email to us here at podcast at stackoverflow.com. Um, there's also a transcript wiki. We're looking for volunteers to help transcribe parts of this podcast uh, on the wiki. Uh, for the benefit of the hearing impaired, um, anything that you can do, you can even transcribe a minute or two, uh, will be uh, of great uh, benefit. And that will be linked to from the show notes, which are located at blog.stackoverflow.com, along with hyperlinks to World Wide Web entries on various topics that we have mentioned in this show. So check that out at the uh, show notes, again, blog.stackoverflow.com. Com. Stack Overflow Dev Day is coming up in 10 cities around the world, an entire day of meeting with other Stack Overflow uh, people 
and uh, getting some great programming tutorials and that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's coming to a city near you. There are 10 different cities. Check it all out at stackoverflow.carsonified.com or just uh, you know search the interwebs for Stack Overflow Dev Days. Uh, that's all I got for you. See you next week. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.